0: This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you, who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing and knit and paint... Spend. would you go crazy well if you're going crazy here's something amazing to help
1: you keep it together one two three
0: Hello and welcome to episode 196. On this episode of the podcast, I'm going to bring you a conversation that I recorded back in February with Mary Ann Moody, the Australian fiber artist who has taken the weaving world by storm. She sells loom kits and teaches workshops online and in person, and recently came out with a book, On the Loom, A Modern Weaver's Guide. It's a beautiful book. It's very inspiring. Marianne is here on the show to talk about how she built her business, what inspired it, the whole story behind it. She also gives a lot of tips for how to manage the social media and balancing family and being a businesswoman. And I'd also like to take a moment to thank my Patreon sponsors and all you folks who have shopped at the Craft Sanity Etsy shop. I really appreciate your support. Pretty much every loom magazine or hand printed shirt that goes out the door all those funds go back into my business it helps me keep this podcast going so thank you so much for your support the only last thing i'm going to mention is that on april 1st in west michigan i'm hosting a weaving workshop on the new craft sanity kindred looms so you can head to craftsanity.com if you're interested i'll have more information about that in the after show so all right Grab that project and settle in for a lovely chat with Marianne Moody. All right. Now, do you care to share your age or no? Is that something that you don't? Sure. Yeah. 40. I'll be 40 this year, later this year. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I just turned 40 in July. And so it is, um, I can tell you it's, it's, it feels great. (laughs) I I know. Yeah. Like I
1: have, I have no problem with age. I have actually found that I've been using it like this year a lot as a reflection though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think anytime we cross over to a new decade, I think it is kind of a, we do that kind of Automatically, I think so I did the same thing
1: and sort of had this conversation with my husband about like You know, we're not cool anymore You know, you know, cool, you know, cool cool like we're not cool anymore We're just like normal people we're cool to ourselves But there's there's cool like the you know, the young kids who are coming through who are half our age They're the cool ones now
0: <laughs> it's interesting because I feel like there are a lot of us that are turning 40 or have already turned 40. And uh, I think we are still cool to each other. You know, you still have the people you admire that have done something, but Mm -hmm. yeah, you're right though. Um, It doesn't really matter what we've done. The 20 somethings usually aren't very impressed. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But it's okay. It's okay. You know? Yeah, Um, that's fine. That's fine.
1: And I remember having that conversation with my sister, with her, Um, her and her husband calling me and my husband hipsters and we were like oh but we're not the hipsters those like those young kids who are doing all the cool stuff and riding their fixie bikes and all of that they're the hipsters and we realized that it's always the other right it's always like I'm not you know but although you see me as a hipster but I see them as the hipster and it's sort of nobody ever stands up and says hey I'm a hipster.
0: Right, right, because that's very uncool, <laughs> right, when you say that, if you declare yeah. yourself a hipster, it's very uncool. When I, yeah. think, I think people will be really interested to hear you say this, because you have become a household name in the weaving community, and with your business, and I mean, you have tons of followers, and I think people are going to be intrigued to hear you say that, you know, you don't consider yourself to be, and like I said, a lot of times people don't say, oh, I'm totally cool. You know, I mean, it's not really something people do, but I think that's interesting that, um, even with all the following, the the big following that you have, you still don't see yourself as, as being a big deal. Is that, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from you. Is that
1: totally, yeah,
0: (laughs) totally. And I think that, you know, you, you get to a point where you're just like
1: super comfortable and you're doing it for, the, you know, there's certain reasons why you do things, you know, if you're always trying to chase something that's cool, you're never going to, it's going, always going to be elusive, you're always going to be unhappy and feel unfulfilled. And if you're doing something to connect with other human beings, if you're doing something to create, you know, get in touch with your inner child artist, if you're doing something, you know, that if you're doing something for those sort of reasons, you're more likely going to feel satisfaction in your life and happiness in your life than trying to worry about you know, how, how cool people think you are.
0: Right. Who right. has time for that? <laughs> Especially when you have kids, yeah. when you have kids, you just don't have oh my time God. for that. <laughs> oh
1: my God. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to um, maybe back up and we'll kind of go back in time a little bit. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your childhood and your kind of creative roots. And then if we could kind of, kind of trace our, you know, trace your steps forward and talk about, you know, your current business and your weaving and your teaching and all the things you're doing so if you had to trace this all back to your creative roots what where would you say that began your creative life I mean what what was really the inspiration back in your childhood
1: I think I was always like I'm the youngest of six kids and I felt like my older brothers and sisters were all off like having fun and doing like crazy stuff while I was going through my formative years (laughs) Um, and my the sister who I'm closest to Um, she was always like, you know, know, the brainiac and the school captain and I was always the funny, social, artsy one. So I I always had this in my identity even though I didn't, like I I went and studied teaching when I finished high school, but I was always, I always just had this as part of my identity. I always just saw myself as being creative and, Mm -hmm. and social. It was the two of them that always came in with each other. And I think that's sort of part of my, you know, my continuing, I guess, brand or identity.
0: Um, where, yeah, so where did I you always, go to school? If I could interrupt you for a second, where did you go to school to study teaching? Um,
1: so in in Melbourne, um, I started teaching and I taught art in a primary school for about 10 years. Um, so, you know, moving, I guess, moving on from there, but, but I also had this I always really had this sort of entrepreneurial spirit as well. So even when I was in high school, I would, like, make toffees and take them into school and sell them during recess. Okay. And then I <laughs> um, I had, a like, a vintage clothing store. So I would, like, go off and I'd go charity shopping and I'd bring them home, all these beautiful, like, you know, uh, vintage fabrics that had like sequins and beautiful embroidery and I would take them home and I would lovingly mend them and I would iron them and clean them and, you know, make them beautifully and style them up. Um, So I was always sort of like running a business as well and sort of creating a community that way while at the same time, you know, I was sort of teaching art but the thing is that you think that teaching, like you think, oh, wow, that's that's a really creative job but it's not. It's a job where you're helping other people to be creative. So, you know, I think I just I wasn't feeling as um, as fulfilled creatively as I could have in that particular moment.
0: And I understand from reading the introduction to your book on the loom, A Weaver's Guide, which is a relatively new book. Uh, that came out and it's beautiful, by the way. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, I read the intro and I just reread the intro last night so I could be, you know, have it fresh in my mind. And in your introduction, you talk about uh, when you were—I think it was when you um, had left we going to take a break from teaching because you were having, having a child. Um, is that when you were cleaning out the back room at school? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that dis- there was a discovery that seemed to be pretty pivotal and where in the direction you went next.
1: The new art teacher and I were sort of clearing out together, getting ready for her to have, you know, her space ready um, to come in and take over my role. Um, And we were sort of clearing things out and, you know, throwing a lot of stuff away. And uh, we happened upon this old little, little loom. And it's not the kind of loom that I use now. It was a rigid heddle loom. Okay. Um, But I didn't know anything about weaving or I didn't even know what weaving was. But I just saw the box. And it looked very 70s, you know, sort of had some brown and orange and cream thing on the front. Um, and I just thought, oh, I'll take, I'll take it home. I'm going to have, I'm sure I'm going to have lots of time on my hands uh, waiting for the baby. And then when the baby comes, so I'll just, you know, teach myself this new craft and maybe, you know, make things, you know, keep myself busy, but also maybe be able to. Make things for my friends and family, and keep that connection. Because mm-hmm. I felt like I was going to be a bit isolated, and I wasn't going to be seeing like my friends all the time like I normally would. So I thought this would be a nice way to keep the connection.
0: And how long did it take you to find? Did you go right home and try it, or how long did it take to actually open that yeah. box? Yeah. So it was probably it probably was only a few weeks. But I
1: realised, you know, and it was great. The instructions were in there. Um, and uh, but then I realised I didn't have any yarn. <laughs> I wasn't like that type of a crafting right. person. I have... had nothing. Um, so I used jute and like this neon waxed cord. Which must have been a little I used challenging. Yeah, I used yeah. to tie up presents with it. I still have those. I made two little swatches of fabric to start with and I turned them into... Uh, a coin purse and, like, a little pencil case. I just sewed up the edges and sewed in a a zip. Oh,
0: awesome. And so you actually I felt, made use of I felt, the project.
1: Yes. Well, I think there's this really Aussie thing about, like, it's the idea, uh, like, you know, we call it, like, the tall poppy syndrome, where it's like, don't put yourself out there too much. Don't grow too tall um, or someone will come and chop you down. mm Like, this is that idea that you don't want to, you don't want to make, so as soon as I made something, I had the idea that, well, I'm not going to make art, because if I say, hey, and I give someone some art, and I try to tell them to put it on their wall, Mm -hmm. somebody will say, this is ugly, I'm not putting this on my wall, what are you doing, you haven't studied art, like, there'll always be somebody to bring you back down if you grow too big for your boots, um, we, you know, which is very, it's very anti-American because Americans are all about, like, be the best that you can be and, 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 and show everyone, like, let your light shine. Right, right. You know, make sure you shine the brightest you can. And Australians right. are all like, you dim that light down. That's a little, sh- that's a little shiny, that light. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's sort of been part of my um, success in both countries because I have a little bit of
0: both. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, and the Americans are like, "Oh, look at her. She's kind of nice. She's not um, uh, trying to make herself too big." Or, but then again, she's still willing to, you know, get herself out there. And with the Australians, I sort of try to keep it down a little bit, but then I also try to like grow my community, you know, as much or more than my my own profile. So it's this way of like, you know, trying to sort of be, you know. Or, or having those part of my personalities that, that show, can appeal to
0: both sides. Right. So it sounds like you're making that, so that, do you think that's why you made the change purse instead of a, a wall hanging for a friend? You, you know, you could. Totally. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. So I, the first thing, I made a bunch of, um a bunch of purses for my friends because it was like, here's something useful, you know, utilitarian. And right. You can, yeah. And the people who I gave those purses to still have them. That's great. And I love it. It's like five years ago and they still, um, like, they'll they'll say, oh, let me pay for coffee and they'll pull out the purse, like the little change purse or something. And it's awesome.
0: So that was only, um, was it, that only five years ago then when you left teaching? So,
1: oh, yeah, well, it was 2011,
0: 2000, oh, so six, between five and six. Okay. Okay. So that was pretty recently then. And so um, from that, uh, so you made those initial projects, gave them to friends uh, was that before the, before you had a baby or was that after?
1: Probably the purses were before um, uh, Murray came. And also I made them, the second things, I still didn't make wall hangings. The second things I made were um, little mats for people to put things on. So little like, I called them plant mats.
0: So were there, so those like like a circular? Make, were those a circular? Were you making circular? No. No, okay. No, so,
1: still square. With Just that? A little, a little
0: swatch of fabric. With that first one um, that you got?
1: Yeah, still with the same loom, but now, I'd, you know, I'd invested in my future and I went and bought some awful acrylic yarn, <laughs> green yarn. <laughs> and, uh, I had no idea about, like, you know, the only thing I was like, oh, that's nice colour. Like, I didn't know anything to do with, you know, natural fibres or hand-dyed or hand-spun or I was just, like, went to our, like, our version, the Australian version of, um, uh, you know, Joanne's. I okay. Guess. Um yeah, so I made a budget. I still wanted to keep it like very like useful and, oh, here's something helpful for you. I'm not asking you to put this on your wall. I'm just saying here's something to, you know, sort of help you in your life so that your plants don't stay in your tables.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> so everything was very functional. And then when did that change? When did it change from functional... Uh, non-threatening, you weren't telling your friends you were an artist, you know, it was just all very low-key, yeah. when, when did that change? No, and I still don't
1: consider myself an artist, like, I think part of it, like, I, I most often think of myself as a maker.
0: A lot of people, I think, embrace that title easier than artists, because it's, it is, it, I didn't study art either, and I do a lot of fiber art and printmaking, and I do feel kind of weird sometimes when I Say, oh yeah, I make art. People, because I kind of feel like you know, I trained as a journalist, so I feel very comfortable saying I'm a, you know, I'm a writer and a journalist. But I didn't train as an artist, so I some I'm there's I, so many I, people I out with there that who have done thing. the hard yards.
1: Yeah, they deserve that title. I'm someone who enjoys making things, and you know, and and but at the same time, because I'm a teacher, I totally you know try to inspire my students to. Look at their work as being art and look at themselves as an artist and making an emotional connection between themselves and others. And we talk about that whole process of being an artist, and yet I still find it hard within myself.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty common. I, I think that, um, and when you really get down to it, it's basically, um, you know, I've started to appreciate that whole um, independent study, is what I call it, where I have spent so much time studying uh, on my own how to create things and make things. And, you know, an artist can go through art school. And if you don't make any art, you know, because some people don't, they go through school, get the degree, and then they go into something else. Uh, so it's, it's, so I think, yeah, it's, it's an interesting dilemma that we wrestle with though. <laughs> what, what do we call ourselves? So, so, so you didn't start calling yourself an artist. It sounds like you still embrace the maker label much more comfortably, but when did you start making things that go up on the wall as opposed to on Okay. So that. That little
1: loom that I had wasn't it's really made for fabric. It wasn't made for um wall hangings, really. Um the rigid head or loom. Right. So was... then I yeah, yeah, it's sort of like this swatching kind of, or like a scarf or a um so I couldn't figure out do I just tie it on a stick? Like, is that how I make a wall hanging? Um and I thought there had to be a more elegant way of doing that. So a lot of it was. Just figuring out, okay, so what, you yeah, know, and doing that independent study, going, buying lots of vintage books, because there was nothing on the internet that I could find, and I didn't know the words to search for. I was searching for, um, you know, like, I wanted to make like a shaggy weave to hang on the wall, and I'd type in shaggy weave, and I would
0: get hair tutorials. <laughs> and, yeah, so you, were, you weren't using the search term ta- tapestry at that point? No, I okay. wasn't.
1: Cause I didn't know it was tapestry. I was calling it a weave.
0: Right. And so you were getting a lot of hair advice, but yes. not, not, not weaving advice for, for, yes. for, for yarn. Okay. So, so what did so you do then? So it was the same,
1: so it was the same time I was sharing photos of what I was doing, making these little, little swatches of fabric and turning them into things. I was sharing that on my social media and my social media, I had like respectable account probably like 600 followers from my people who used to buy my vintage clothes and so I was just putting up photos of what I was making and people were like wow that's amazing look at what you're doing you know and I was feeling this like yeah I was feeling emboldened and I was feeling connected what you know instead of um, feeling like like I was alone in my house with my baby with you know sore boobs um, (laughs) suddenly I was feeling you know connected with other women and, and, and empowered and relevant and creative. And um, one, of the, one of the girls who followed me said, Marianne, these are great. You should try Raya Knotts. And as soon as she said Raya Knotts, I ran to Google and I typed it in and I ended up finding this group of women who had a forum who were, it was called something like the Southwestern Tapestry Alliance, something like that. But I, I mean, they were only there for a short time. And I was like they, – they did this Navajo-style weaving mm-hmm. and and they like they were just so open and sharing and, you know, wanting to help me on my journey. That, that Like there were questions that I didn't even know what I had to ask and they were like, here's what you need to do. You need to buy a frame loom. This is the kind of stuff you need to warp up with. Um, you need to le- search for tapestry-style books rather than weaving because if you do weaving, you're going to get – Weaving patterns and all this other stuff that that you don't want, um, and they were so uh, so giving and and like you could see that it was something that they were passionate about, but that they didn't feel like they owned. They just wanted to share all of this information, and it made me and that totally informed. It made me want to teach again, firstly, but then it also informed my teaching practice and the way that I look at. My weaving, that I don't own any of these skills. These are all have to be out in the world. I love it so much. I want you to love it as well. And so when I teach, I'm like, I'm not saying I'm teaching, you know, the the, the only way or the right way. I've got to teach you my way. And hopefully, if I can get you to love it as much as I love it, then I've I'm, I've done my job.
0: That's great. That's great. So it sounds like you went pretty quickly then. Uh, this has been a whirlwind for you, going from discovering weaving for yourself to now helping others do that. That's really, how much time did you, yeah. before you started teaching? So I was a.
1: what I say to my classes, in my classes, the first thing that I say is I'm an okay weaver, but I'm an excellent teacher. <laughs> Interesting. And that's what I'm here for. And your that's weaving what, looks you know, pretty good. I've been good. I was a teacher for 12 years. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I love, I think that's been part of, you know, a be, you know, such a big part of what I do is the teaching and the community making and the sharing because that's where my skill set is. I'm not doing it and that's why I don't really see myself as an artist. I'm more a teacher.
0: Well, and it sounds like that's been an integral part of your business because is that, is that where a bulk of your business is? is is on the teaching side? Is that a majority of your business?
1: Um, no,
0: it's quite...
1: Yeah, it's quite – there's sort of three main sections of my business and I guess there's there's the making, my making of my um, tapestries, my Mm -hmm. art. Mm -hmm. Um, Then there is the development of um, kits and products that people can buy. So like, you know, the frame loom or yarn packs or tools or warp or things. Um, And then there's the teaching, which I've got um, an online course, um, as well, we're just releasing another one, another online class, um, and the touring, um, and the book, I guess. So they're the, like, they're the, that's the teaching side. So there's really three sections of the business and my making is, um, is one of them. The designing and producing is another, and then the teaching and education is the, is the third.
0: Okay. And so do you make your own, um, do you, did you design the looms that you sell now? Yes. Okay. And then do you make those yourself or how does that work? No. We have a couple
1: in Southern California and they, she's, well, she, I think she must've just in the last couple of weeks had her baby because she was very pregnant towards, uh, (laughs) the end of last month. And, and now we've, we've sort of had a bit of a quiet time (laughs) coming from their end. Right. But, you know, we've, we've always had this, you know, strong, you know, idea vision with you know the business that it should be local and sustainable and supporting other small businesses and um know
0: part of that was keeping it um the tools and the looms american made i know you're in australia right now but your permanent residence i mean what you call home is now new york is that correct so we've got my studio is in new
1: york But now we've
0: moved my family back to Australia in the last couple of months.
1: I travel back to the U.S. uh, four or five times a year for a couple of weeks at a time. And I'll go and check in on the studio and do some classes around and tour around a bit. And, um, you know, do meetups and, you know, check in. Yeah, which is great.
0: And so so, um, was this recent that you moved back to Australia? Yes, just in the last couple of months. Oh, okay. Okay. And so how long were you living in, in the United States? About four years. Four, okay. Yeah, four and a half years. And what brought you here? What,
1: what brought you to the States? So Aaron got a job with Etsy.
0: Okay. And Aaron, you're he's your husband, a, I'm assuming? Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay.
1: Uh, he's a designer and a programmer. And they found him online and said, come on over. We'll move your family across. And at the time I was like, I don't want to move to the U.S., I don't want to move to New York. What are you doing? No, we've just got, you know, we've got this new baby coming. And, um, yeah, but in the end we were like, it's New York. Right, right. When are we going to have another moment, like opportunity for someone to pay for us to move to New York? Right. And I sort of felt like I was taking one for the team, you know, well, we're doing this for your career. Eventually, you know, there'll be something that we do for mine. Um, but it very quickly, you know, was, was quite, um, obvious that it was a good move for me as well.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. It sounds like that was, was that right when you were getting started? Yeah. Yep. And, and what led to you to move back to Australia? Um, so I think, you know, New York's hard, you know, I only lasted um... there a summer I, I did an internship at, at Newsday when I was in college and I was like yeah I think I need to go back to the Midwest um, it's a great place to yeah. visit but it wasn't it wasn't a place that I I mean I'm a Midwestern girl and I'll always be yeah <laughs> so
1: I need yeah. space <laughs> my studio manager is Midwestern Kaylin she's from Michigan and she's just my favorite person in the world she's softness in the hard city
0: yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm calling you from Michigan. So where in Michigan is she from? Uh,
1: um, I don't know what the town was, but it's um outside of Detroit, maybe about an hour or two hours out of Detroit. Okay.
0: Yeah, I grew up 20 minutes but, from Detroit, Detroit, and now I live on uh, the west side of the state, uh, two and a half hours away. So oh, uh, okay, small world. So you yeah. have a, so you work with yeah. a Michigander, and um, sounds like that yes. is going well. So so you guys were there yes. for four years and then um, –
1: yeah, so we always I mean we only ever went there thinking that we would um we'd move back. It was never going to be permanently. We always wanted our boys well, it was one boy at the time, now now boys, um, to go to school in Australia and have like health care. Yeah. And you know, have have sort of, you know, there's a lot of great things about Australia that we just wanted them to grow up as as Aussies. Um and so we were like, it just sort of. Aaron was was feeling like, um, you know, when you get into a job, the, when you first get into a job, if it's a great job, you you feel like um, you're learning from other people, but then you're also still teaching other people. Right, right. The give and take. Like you get this sweet spot, yeah. And Etsy grew so much over those four years. It went from 200 people to over a thousand people. That people, like people, were just getting lost. Like, no one would say, oh, Aaron's really good at that. You should go and learn from him. Or, hey, Aaron, you know, do you should come. I know you've been wanting to learn this thing. So it turned from being this really tight-knit community of learners and uh, growers to just a business.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. It has been kind of sad to see Etsy expand. Because I know when I opened my shop, it was just handmade goods. And now all of our handmade goods are competing against manufactured goods, and it's not the same. It's just really not the same. Yeah, so we were like, well, it's probably, I don't know, like we can both
1: do whatever we do. Like it's the internet is the thing that we do, really. Right, true. So we, we can, can do, can do the internet from anywhere. And so that's why I haven't, I didn't really make a big deal on social media about I'm moving home or um, I won't be around. in. what? Like I didn't want to make a big deal because it was like, you know what, I'm still going to be around and I thought if I say I'm going back to Australia, then some of my, both my, my community, as well as, you know, people like, um, like you or, you know, someone from a magazine or something or, or even Etsy, like wanting me to do a DIY for them, they might not find me as accessible if I said, I'm, I'm, I'm in Melbourne now.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I've been interviewing people around the world for for years, so it it has no impact whatsoever on, on me. But but I but I think but in your but the thing is you're totally right. I mean, I can see where that would be, you know, kind of give you some, you know, be a little bit of trepidation there. But at the same time, um you're you are people most people know you through the internet. And as long as you're, you know, on the internet still, they can go to your Instagram feed and still see you and your work. They're probably yeah. going to be totally cool but a lot
1: it. of it's not really location-based anyway it's at my loom it's some yarn it's like those sort of things i right. just like well it doesn't it doesn't matter where i am
0: right I'm so going there loom. to see you <laughs> they, as opposed to seeing what's happening in new york or Australia. exactly yeah they're going to see what's on your loom and what you're making
1: and even when I was in New York, I wasn't taking like photos of the bridge and right. photos of the statue. And right. I wasn't that kind right. of a, a, an Instagrammer. So, right. It was just um, what's on the loom.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And this is kind of off topic, but I am very curious. What are people in Australia making of this situation as it unfolds here in the United States?
1: I think we see ourselves in the in the same. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. We're all in it together, even though we're not in your country. Right. We see we see the alt-right help happening here. We see racism here. We see, you know, people trying to privatise the, the Medicare system here. All of that stuff. We see the, the beginnings of all of that stuff happening here as well. And so I don't think there's anything that people are like, oh, look at those Silly Americans, you know, what are they doing to their country? It's this is like we're all
0: concerned about the state of the world, like mm-hmm.
1: with Brexit. Oh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of it's been there's kind a lot of, a of chain stuff.
0: reaction of things happening, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah, and we get I listen to a lot of podcasts, I listen to on the media. You, you it's know, it's a great and show, so, I love that show, it's awesome. Um, but know yeah, I get a lot of my, my news from America anyway, so. Um, it doesn't feel like it's a far away uh situation do you feel like your
0: your business is all the more important now because even if you're not doing anything directly political with your work to just be able to teach people skills that they can use to just get through whatever might be troubling them whether it's a national issue or a personal issue
1: yeah well i know like i'm i never want to push uh, you know, the, anything onto other people. I want them to take things away from, you know, ta- make it what they, what they take it what sure. they need from what I can give them. Sure. But I do, you know, I do often talk about how, you know, the, it's more almost the community that happens around this passion is what we draw on. So rather than thinking, you know, this, it's not just the time at my, at my loom that's, it's helping me um get through the situation, but you know what there's a bunch of us out there, so even while you're at the loom rather than getting lost in your own mind about feelings and um, you know maybe yeah, like getting too far down a deep, dark hole mm-hmm. like having having that idea that there's other people out there who feel the same way and who you know have their hands busy and their minds alert and you know this is this is something
0: yeah we have power
1: in numbers
0: and that and with instagram too often a lot of us are taking pictures of what we're doing and you share that and then you could get immediate feedback even if it's two in the morning in the states somebody's up somewhere around the world which is really exactly yeah so our community it's a revolution for women it sure is it sure is And so it sounds like for you, the community is definitely, um, something that you're naturally, it sounds like your natural, um, personality dating back to when you were a child. It sounds like you, you just, you were a social person and it sounds like that has been key to, to growing your business.
1: I've always loved that being able to, uh, somebody like giving you the little thumbs up or like, Hey, I really like what you're doing or like being able to make that connection. And now with people in like Finland or Japan or like someone saying hello from Barcelona. And it's just, it's so lovely to, to make the world seem like a small, warm place. Mm-hmm. Like I've never really, I've had maybe one or two interactions that weren't super positive on my Instagram. And that's, a, that's not much out of, you know, a good five years on Instagram and, and 100,000 followers. That's... It's pretty good, you know, odds. Yeah, that's really good. Um, That that most of my interactions are really positive. And I think there was only one, the only downside of it, I think, there was this sort of bittersweet moment that came around 26, 28,000 followers when I realized I was just looking at my phone too much. Like I was responding to every single person who commented on on a photo. Oh, my word. That's a lot. And... It was and it was because I cared about the community and making right. people feel like they were part of it, and I wanted to welcome people and feel like they were like, "Hey, like we're where I'm accessible and I want to chat about this stuff. And it was when like I was sort of like every time my son turned away, like if I was pushing him on the swing, I'd pull it out and try to reply to three things, or you know if he if he turned around to do some drawing, it was like I was caring too much about the community and and feeling connected with my online community and not enough with my son.
0: Right. It is a hard thing. Cause, um, yeah. Cause you want to build, you want to maintain that relationship online, but of course you don't want to miss the people who are right in front of you that you're watching grow. You know, you want to make sure you're, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So I just had to let that go, that comment re- replying to every comment. And now I still read every comment, but I just, I can't like, I don't have enough time in the day to actually respond to everybody, which, you know, it's hard, but it's that point where you have to realize, you know what, this, at this point in my life, this part here is, is so important. So I need to, I need to give my kids,
0: um, my eyes. Absolutely. So I'm curious how you manage that. So you got to the point where it just got to be too much. Now, do you limit the amount of time? Like, do you say, okay, I'm going to check things in the morning or in the evening, or do you, how do you manage Because that's the thing I think a lot of people struggle with is they're trying to figure out, like, okay, how do I still be attentive to my social media and keep it active and vibrant, but not have it encroach on personal time with your family? So how do you manage that? Yeah. So
1: I, well, even though I wasn't trying to start a weaving business, um, from the start, I treated it pretty much as a job. Mm Mm-hmm. It was like I'd stopped teaching and my baby, my first baby did sleep really well and slept a lot in the day. And so I did have all of this time. And even when they weren't sleeping, they just sort of like lay there. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just really, just really easy. And so I found I was able to weave for sort of five or six hours most days. That's great. Um, So I think that's another reason why, like, I've become proficient and also so successful in such a short time like five or six years is because I'm not I'm not just weaving on the weekend I'm not just weaving two hours a week I'm weaving more like 25 hours a week that's great so I'm treating it as a job and then I you know I would have either you know um yeah a babysitter come and just take them to the park so that I could get a bit of work done or um, you know, when we're at home, my mum or Aaron's mum would come and, like, she, she they'd be like, well, let me take them, and I'd be weaving during that time. So, um, yeah, I think I really, like, having that balance. And now I tried, like, if we're going, if I'm going to the park, if I'm going to go swimming with my boys, pardon me, I won't take my phone out at all. Um, Rudy still naps for, like, three hours in the middle of the day. So I'll check it like when I get up before the boys get up, then we'll all eat breakfast together. We'll, you know, get dressed, go like get ready, go out for the day. And then I won't check it again until between midday and three o'clock. And I'll sort of do a bit of work during that time. And then the boys go to sleep at seven. So then I'll usually do some work in the evenings as well. How old are your boys now? So Murray's four and Rudy's.
0: Almost two. Okay. So yeah, you're in the thick of it. Yeah, you're in the thick of it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh my God. And they're they're insane. (laughs) They're such puppies. Like they are like you can't I saw this this couple like sitting at a park bench drinking wine and their kids were like playing nicely on the equipment. Three kids playing nicely. And I just thought, never in my life have I been able to not stand within arm's reach of my children right. for fear right. of them buffing someone over their head, <laughs> shoving someone off the ladder, like, you know, stealing someone's toy. <laughs> well, They're just like so intense, vibrating on this really high level.
0: Yeah. Well, I think your day to drink wine at the park will come again. It's yeah. <laughs> you think so? I think it will. Yeah, I think it will. Do they take an interest in your weaving? Do they try to weave or
1: uh not really. They're still a bit young. Murray is not I thought I was gonna have like this sweet little creative, quiet girl child. And Murray is just like it's <laughs> he can't sit down. It's like every seat has fire or it's or pins or something dangerous. So he couldn't possibly sit down. He's just <laughs> running and, and throwing himself. And, like, he's just, and so you might, like, boom, you might have a stuntman. You might have a man instead, you know. Oh, my God. He is. I mean, even his drawings are just like I was really worried because I was like, I was an art teacher and I'm looking for development developmental right. milestones in his drawing. And it, they're all just like scribbles and like spiky scribbles and stuff. And I was like, you know, what's western was like. I don't want to push him too much, but I also I want I want to see some development. And I was asking him him about this. He had he brought home two of them, and one was like really spiky scribbles, and one of them was like circles, um, like a spiral. And I said, tell me about this spiral. Like, what's what's happening here? And he said, oh, that's around and around and around and around until you fall down. <laughs> and I was like, and what's this what's this spiky one? And he's like. That one is go, 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 <laughs> So he's, he's, he's actually, he, even his artwork yeah. is like physical momentum. Yeah. It's a like personality. Yeah. Yeah. It's very authentic. And I was like, wow. Yes. I am not going to like judge you anymore. Like he's having these existential. amazing. Oh yeah. That was actually
0: very progressive for a four-year-old to be able to describe that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of kids so would was say, like, well, okay, I don't know. You you're know. good. Yeah. No, yeah. It sounds like he's gonna be fine. Yeah, he's yeah. gonna be very Hopefully. energetic. Very energetic. Yeah. And whatever he's yes, gonna he have, is. have a lot of gusto with whatever he decides to do. Which,
1: he is. You know. And he's very confident as well.
0: Well good. A little
1: too confident, my husband
0: would say. <laughs> Isn't that something else? I mean, yeah. Like every in every kid is a, a different sort of challenge, you know, and I think that um They, they, they just have no idea sometimes how many of our our buttons they're pushing all at once. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, that's true.
0: But I do, I see myself in
1: him, you know, I see, I see my personality coming out in him and it's always like you're holding up a mirror to yourself and it's the stuff that's like, oh, do I like that about myself or do I, you know, it questions your, your stuff about you as a parent, as well as about, as a person, because you you see yourself coming out in somebody else. Sure. And it's sure. really confronting.
0: Right, because they don't just pick up our best attributes; they pick up some of our yeah. annoying ones too. Yeah. That was kind of a yes. real eye opener for me as a parent. I was like, "Wow, oh man!" Like, <laughs> I'm just like yeah, yeah, I do, I'm gonna, I do I'm that gonna, too.
1: I'm gonna watch that now. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, and then it's like, "Oh, it's too late. I've already passed this on to my child." Yeah. So it's, but it, it is, it is so, it is incredible though to watch your children grow and see some of the things that they do and how the person, th- some of the things that my kids do, you know, my husband and I will look at each other like, like, where, where did she get that from? Because, you know, it's not something that either one of us do. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's, but it, so it sounds like for you, it sounds like you're really enjoying your time um, as a, as a mom. Do you miss teaching in the classroom? Like the traditional teaching job you used not to Not at have? all. So it sounds like not, this is not kind a, a great transition. For you?
1: I think I get the best and yeah, I, I've taken away the best from my teaching career. Uh, like it was, it was so tiring teaching and like you, you'd work out these amazing lessons and then you'd have half the kids like looking out the window or, you know, throwing paint around or whatever. And it's like, Hey, like I made this really good thing for you and you're not, you're not enjoying it. You're not appreciating it the way that I want you to. And, and I think, Um, Now I I teach in a class of like uh, 20 women who have paid to be there, who want to be there, Mm -hmm. who want to learn and want to communicate and ask questions. And, and, you know, that's really um, validating as a teacher. Like it makes you realise, oh, this is, you know, I'm actually able to
0: teach and share what I I
1: have instead of just putting out fires.
0: Right. Yeah. I teach at a community college. I teach journalism. And uh, when I teach art workshops and it, it's a whole different vibe because people show up for the art workshop. They're not getting college credit. They're, it's, it's personal enrichment. It's for the community aspect. And everybody's there because they want to be. And so their mom is not making them take the class. It's not a prerequisite for graduation. It is solely out of pure love and joy for the art form that they're there in the uh, art workshop. Mm-hmm. So it is a whole different vibe. And um, But we have wonderful students, too, in the traditional educational setting. And those are, you know, they're wonderful people. But um, I know what you're talking about when you say, like, some people are not maybe appreciating so much <laughs> the preparation um, and the message you're trying to deliver. What what age were the kids that you were teaching? They were primary school. Okay. So, so they were anywhere between 6 and 12. Okay. Yeah. And that's a, a different skill set for each grade level there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that
1: was challenging, too. And now I get to teach, like, you know, every day we make Murray comes home and he's like, what are we going to make? And we have a box, a construction box that I'm not allowed to throw away anything. He keeps going through our recycling box and pulling everything back out. Mom, why are you throwing this away? <laughs> you know, we made a pirate chicken yesterday and this morning before he went to school, he said, "Mom, I want a getting, getting dressed badge. Oh, okay. and it was because he was like, um, like a merit badge, right? He wanted, because he was like, I'm going to get dressed on my own, and I want you to make me, um, a getting dressed badge. Oh. <laughs> and so I went off, and I got my gold leaf, and we got, you know, the cardboard, and we sat down, and we used the pinking shears, and we cut out a little, you know, he chose a t-shirt, and we cut out the t-shirt, and I, like I made him this little badge for him to wear to school. Oh so yeah, that that's he so could, excellent. Yeah, so it's like we're making stuff every every day. So I'm still getting that, you know, fun, creative, like, oh, what are we going to do today? Kind of um, part from teaching, but I get to do it with my kids, which is awesome. Yes, and then I also get to teach the classes, which I get, you know, connection with other women and uh, passing on this thing that I'm super passionate about. And um, so no, I don't I don't miss traditional teaching at all. I mean, I miss, I miss the, um, superannuation and, and the, and the, uh, you know, the weekly paycheck coming in. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but other than that, um, like I love how flexible my life is and, you know, I, I feel totally in control.
0: And at what point did you realize that you had this, you said you weren't trying to build a weaving business. It just kind of happened as you were sharing your work on social media at what point did people start to buy or want to buy your work? Is that, were you selling things just by it through social yeah, media? Or? Really,
1: really early people wanted to start to buy because my, the, my followers were already my customers. Right. They were my customers business. from the vintage. Yes. And so as soon as I started putting things up, they were like, what, can we buy one? I'd like to buy one. Can you make one for me? And my husband said to me, no Marianne you've just started to learn you need to weave for, for a whole year before you sell a piece. And and he was like you need to and, and the the level of the level of quality that we were aiming for was you need to be able to weave at a, at at the um the quality that you could sell in a museum
0: gift shop. Okay. It was like <laughs> it was so And cute. what did you say? It like, <laughs> what, what, what did you say when he said this to you?
1: I was like, that's sage advice. Yeah. Because what I was, I was still learning. I had no idea what I was doing, and I didn't want to give people things. Like when I had my vintage company, I would, I would find these clothes, or I had other people buying for me as well, and I would get them, and I would hunt over every little tiny part. I would, you know, you know, know, really carefully mend things and have them pressed and wash them, and everything had to be perfect because I knew my customer. Even if I was going to sell. 12 dresses that week, each customer was only going to buy open one. Right. True. So that each one had to be the best that it could possibly be.
0: Were you selling the vintage goods under your name? Like, was it under your name? No. Okay. No. Um,
1: So this one was that I had to, I had to learn all about we, we tapestry weaving and practice lots and try different um, fibers and, and sort of hone my uh, style as well. Mm-hmm. So I just gave away all of my first weavings that, that year. Uh, I gave them to family and friends and then I ended up giving them to and, um, people who had uh, my friends who had a shop. So I was like, can I make one for your hairdresser? Can I make one for your flower shop? And I would go in and I was like learning the commission process by giving them a free product. That's
0: really interesting that you did that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was like, all right, I'd really love to make one for your shop. Can I sit down with you and talk about the colors of flowers that are going to be coming in over the next season? Yeah. Let's go through this thing. And I like, and that's how I actually ended up getting, um, uh, I don't know if you know that there's a, there's a blog called the design files in Australia, yeah, which is like a, a really famous one in Australia. And they actually saw the weave that I had hanging in my friend's florist in her flower shop. And that's how they sort of like they, they messaged me and said, you know, we'd love to come and do a story on you. And I was like, I don't, I don't have any weaves here. <laughs> I've been giving them all away. I have two weaves. And they were like, that's fine. We'll just come shoot you, you know, in your space. And, um, and that was about a year into it. And, and that was called they the, design, it on, the
0: Design File?
1: Yes. The design files. The design files. Okay.
0: So that was a huge – it sounds like that was a huge boost for you. Yes.
1: So that was the same point. So I started getting people emailing me and asking me for commissions and I started making people – like I'd been through the process at that point and I was happy to make things, make pieces for people. And also there was a lady who runs – Megan Morton runs a um, business called The School and she has teachers teach – things like arm knitting or ceramics or perfume making or leather stamping or, and she contacted me and said, I'd love you to be one of our teachers. And I was ready to teach again. And she showed me how to teach in this really elegant, beautiful community minded way. You know, you make sure that people have, you know, you welcome them with a glass of champagne and you have these beautiful fresh flowers and you, you know, make sure everything, you know, you've got nice music playing because these people are coming. They're not just coming to learn that skill, they're coming. They're taking time out of their life. They do, you know, they're sort of giving themselves this gift of, of you know, a new skill. But also, like, yeah, giving them a glass of champagne means they're probably going to socialize with the person next to them more, and that's going to make them more. These and so go, coming from the classroom where you know you weren't there was you know social skills were sort of part of it, but that wasn't the main focus. Um, to you know being able to appreciate you know women as yeah, as customers, but also as, as your community. Um, so she taught me how to like put on a really beautiful workshop and appreciate the people who were coming in, um, to do my classes.
0: That's great. And so that you were able to kind of, um, weave, kind of weave that into your business a little bit. So the teaching style and all that. So right when this, the first article, when they came out from the um, website to do your, uh, from the design files, was that the point when you did start charging then did you feel comfortable charging at that point is that yes okay yes so that was kind of and I
1: actually asked her because she knew a lot about art and design and I said she said oh so how much are your pieces and I said can you help me figure out how much they are because I don't know and she said I think they're about 300 dollars," and I was like I'm really glad I asked you (laughs) because I would have had no idea. I would have thought maybe ninety dollars or something, and undersold yeah. myself. well, so it sounds
0: but, like every opportunity. One of the things I'm hearing you say is that every every person that you're meeting along the way, you're you're um, definitely using those people as resources and asking questions. And um, and it yeah. sounds like that's been served you really well to have these conversations with the people that you're crossing paths with, and you know, say, yeah. well, what do you think? Um, and it is the best way to find something out is to ask, you know, (laughs) so, uh, and I think that's been part of the success as well is that I've never
1: really had a plan and I've always relied on seeing opportunities and having my eyes open to, to see like, oh, wow, this is something cool that's happening right now. Maybe I could do a bit of this or this isn't feeling so good. Maybe I need to speak to somebody and find out some advice about this. Because I feel like if you're too focused on what's, you know, straight ahead, like what's happening in the next five years, you miss out on what's the opportunities that arise like on the sides. You know, you're not really not really looking out with your eyes open. So I think it's about being like, yeah, present in the moment and being able to see opportunities as they arise.
0: So did your pricing structure change? You know, initially she told you 300. I have you, um, have you changed your pricing since then as you've grown more experienced and how do you determine that for yourself?
1: I have, I have, um, but I mean, not extraordinarily and I probably need to put my prices up again. Um, you know, there's something to do with it. It's like, uh, people will, lots of people like email me for a quote and some people I never hear back from and right. some people say, yes, mm-hmm. no one ever says, oh, that's a bit expensive. Can you make it a bit less? And, but I w- I'm totally happy with negotiation. Like I'd be happy if somebody was like,
0: oh, I actually have this much of a budget. What can you do for this? Right. So you can make um, a smaller piece or change the materials. Yeah. There's things you exactly, can do. Exactly. Um,
1: I mean, the, like you know, a big part of it is like the big a big part of the cost is also postage. It's it costs about a hundred dollars to post these pieces because they're you know they're art and they're um they have to be protected in certain ways and then they have to be insured and then so it's you know even the postage has gone up over the time so that that's probably a good indicator of me saying okay I probably need to you know inflate my prices as well
0: right. So so it sounds like that part of the process has been um, kind of a learning experience to just as you've decided, like, okay, what am I going to go into? Uh, Now, were you always selling supplies to people? At what point did you start selling looms and kits? So that was another
1: uh, opportunity after listening to my followers. So I've never made a decision thinking, oh, I'm just going to start doing this because I like this. It's uh, everything, all of the things have come from people saying I'd really like to learn. Am I able to come and learn from you? And then people saying, I can't make a class. Can I just buy the loom and the supplies? Um, so we started making kits for people to buy who couldn't attend the, cl- the in-person classes. And then people started saying, what book should I buy? And there was no real book on the style that I was using. It was all, I just kept saying, buy vintage books on tapestry or this or that, and um, and that's why I ended up writing the book because it was a, a way because people were asking for that. And then people were you know, were like, well, I live in Finland or, you know, South Africa, um, no way of coming to your class. Would you ever consider doing an online class? So we made the online classes. Um, and now like this next step that seems to be um, like, you know, moving forward, yeah, um, we're having a lot of, yeah, you know, yarn stores contacting us and asking to wholesale our looms and our tools. So we're sort of streamlining that process of being able to not just having that customer to customer, but being able to provide this extra um, capability where we can get our loom makers to be able to send, say, 20 looms to Pearl Soho or 20 looms to Catty Wumpus or whatever it is.
0: Okay. So um, they're still going to be made by the same people then? They'll just feed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well that's pretty exciting yeah. that you're gonna yeah. expand that and, and continue to grow. And it, when it comes to the online classes, is that something that are you managing those yourself and producing them yourself or do you uh use yes. a service to do that?
1: No. My husband's a um a designer and a programmer. So he's oh, built Oh, Yeah, us I the forgot website. about that. You
0: have Aaron. You <laughs> don't need you don't need it outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: so he built that and we've um we released one um oh I want to say five, four or five months ago, and we've had um, over 500 people sign up for it. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, which was really good. And now we've got the new one that I'm going to release. It's sort of like to celebrate the 100,000 followers, like the community that we've grown. Um, the new one is on Shapes, um, so that will be released this week or next week. That's nice because it's sort of this thing where it's um, – it just can sit there and people can have access to it at any time. They don't have to wait for me to come to their city. They don't have to, like, if it's three o'clock in the morning and their baby is, you know, nursing and they want to watch it, then they can do it then. Or if they want to watch it, like with a group of friends, they can watch it then. And like, you know, and it's, it's, they can, it's it never runs out. So they can always keep watching it.
0: Did you turn down offers and decide, you know what, I'm going to just do this on my own. I mean, or was that something that you just always want to do on your own?
1: Yeah, I did. I turned down offers. um, And it was just a matter like we actually recorded it over a year ago. And it took almost a year to build the website. So we were sort of like I was biting my nails thinking, oh, no, all this information, like lots of people are out there sort of doing similar things. And maybe it's not as relevant anymore. And but then to have 500 people sign up for it, it still is obviously so it's, it's this great thing that I'm it doesn't take any extra effort or energy or money, any like to, to have it sitting there. And like every day we might get two or three people signing up for it. So it's just this nice little trickle mm-hmm. that's coming yeah, in. Sure. So going going from having one month, having like, you know, thousands of dollars of revenue and the next month having hundreds of dollars of revenue hopefully we can get to this point with wholesaling um, looms and tools as well as online courses that we can have a more standard flow of income.
0: Right. Things will kind of become a little more regular. Yeah. Yes. And and do you recommend that for, for um, the other, because a lot of people are approached um, by larger companies looking for artists to kind of record in their studio uh, would you recommend this model? Because it sounds like it was a lot of work for you and your husband. Um, and and if they don't, ha- if they aren't married to a guy like Aaron, um- <laughs>
1: it's really expensive. Yeah, I it's mean- sort of
0: ten thousand dollars for a website. Oh goodness. Yeah. So it'd be really hard to. That's what I had
1: quoted for me. If you want to sell things on, because it has to be this very particular security system. If you want people to take payments on your website and yeah. So it was like $10,000. So for me, it worked because I had a lot of followers. I already had a, a captured market that I could point into the direction of the online class. I think you just have to be when you're starting your own business or if you're moving forward in any direction, you just have to be constantly aware of like, what are they getting out of it? What am I getting out of it? Right. Why am I doing this? Right. Don't do something just because you think it's just for the money or just because you think it's going to be fun or just because you think you want to please someone. Like just be really sure um, about and, and sort of intentional about your decisions. Talk with your partners, talk with your friends, talk with your mum and dad and ask them what they think about these, this sort of idea um, and if you're going to do something. Like if it doesn't cost me any money, I will, uh, like most of the time, like, you know, having a conversation with you or doing a photo shoot for a magazine or like, I really love talking about this stuff. And I know it's good for you because you, you want to have some content to share with your followers, but it's also good for me because I get to share my story with a broader audience. So I'm always, you know, I'm always aware of any sort of thing that I do because I do so many different things in my day. I'm always aware of how much energy I'm putting out um, and how much energy I'm getting back from that particular right. thing that I'm sure doing.
0: There's something in it where it's going to pay off in some way as opposed to yes. just because someone else is doing something. So uh, are you using a hosting service for your videos or is that something your husband built exclusively for you?
1: Um, we use Vimeo.
0: Okay. So, okay. And, but the, yeah. he did, but you're blessed to have uh tech support right in your house, which is great. Yeah. 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 So step one, marry an IT guy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes, totally. And he did like all my branding and stuff, my logo. And, you know, whenever there's something that we produce, like even in my book, like they had in-house designers for them. But when they gave me the copies, I sat down with him and said, what do you think about this, this, the way this looks? And like, you know, most of the stuff, he was like, this is perfect. This is beautiful. This is great. Oh, I don't know about this. And so I was able to pinpoint certain things with my publishers that I would have wouldn't, I don't have the skill set to be able to say, this looks a bit funny or to be able to say, this is funny because it's too far down. Right. I would have thought, oh, that, it looks strange, but he's, he's able to say, oh, that's because they've left too much space there. And that font is too small.
0: Yeah. Like he great. can actually, yeah. So how long have you two been married?
1: Uh, we just had our fifth wedding anniversary on Saturday.
0: Oh, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm curious about your decision to um, create your business under using your name as the name of your business. Was that something that um, did you deliberate on that, or did you have another option or on the table, or did you just say, "Hey, this makes some no. sense"? Yeah,
1: because I think the beginning of the business was selling my art. Okay the things that were I was going to be putting on people's walls so it wasn't supposed to, like that the the um uh vintage business wasn't me it was I was selling clothes that you know it wasn't I, I it wasn't my face it wasn't it was things that I I was like you know styling but I wasn't I didn't really have a hand in it right it wasn't my soul yes yeah and so when I started to make these, like I had to register a business name and I was like, well, I guess it's I guess it's me. I'm doing the work. And now since it's grown further from there, like it probably, like sometimes we refer to what happens um, in New York as the studio, you know. So if I ever had to split the business, it would be like, oh, okay, um, that manufacturing part where we make kits and we send them out and do yarn, you know, um, weaving packs and all of that stuff like we could possibly split the business and Marianne Moody would remain me where I teach classes and um make my wall hangings and um that other side where we make a product um could be something like the studio or the like you know they would have this other entity right could possibly have this entity
0: yeah and so what is happening at the studio like so that's based still in New York correct that's where you're yeah And so what, can people go there for classes or is that where kits are put together or what is happening in that part of your business?
1: So I've got three girls who work for me there and they do, Yep. so we're currently, um, because our, the couple who are, um, sort of out of commission at the moment, um, from who've just had their baby, um, and they're saying they're not sure about what's happening in the next six months and they don't want to commit. And so we're looking for a new Local manufacturer, so they're you know hunting down that, but then they're also looking at local um, yarn mills so that we can start wholesaling yarn from directly from the manufacturer. Because up until now, we've been buying our yarn from Etsy sellers who are like, We'll buy like three balls of yarn from this lovely lady in Arkansas, oh, and then wow. we'll buy 10 balls of yarn. yes yeah, yeah, so it that's was a always this work. really sustainable, yeah. yes. And also, like, the people who buy the pastel pack one month, it's going to be totally different if they buy it the next month.
0: Right, because you have to find – there's probably the your suppliers are probably really small small quantities. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. And it was only ever um, vintage, secondhand, recycled, hand-spun, hand-dyed. So it was this idea that we didn't want to, you know, put anything extra onto the earth that could do harm or – like we just really wanted to keep it small and supporting women businesses and um but it also we've grown to this point now where we're like okay well now we can we can sort of still keep that same idea in mind but maybe we can uh get our yarn from sustainable small wool mills in the US and we're still supporting small business but it's not a lady who's going to buy milk for her kids it's a like a family run business who you know they're putting it towards their you know uh, estate or whatever
0: it is. Right. So it's a little bit larger, um, small businesses. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so all that's based out of New York. Yes. Okay. So they're making, yeah. And
1: then we're also doing things like, so every time I, I come back, the next time I'm coming back is May. And um, they're working out what my schedule is going to be, where I'm going to teach. So I'll teach in LA, I'll teach you know, in New York um, and sort of like, Maybe we'll go up and visit this, um, this farm where they you know produce the yarn that we could possibly be wholesaling. So, like, they're helping to work out what that schedule is going to be, is going to look like there. But, yeah, they're mostly doing um, reconciling orders from the Etsy shop um, and also working on um, DIYs. So sometimes if we've got, like, a DIY for a magazine or a blog, then I will sort of come up with the the concept and make a sort of small version of it and then I'll ship that to them or I'll take photos and give it to them and then they'll um, produce the rest of the steps to take and take the photos of them. So they're really sort of the administrative side of the business.
0: And, and, and do you have daily um, contact with these ladies? Because like, I know you're like 16-hour time difference, so that's probably yeah. a little bit challenging. But do you have daily yeah, interactions but, with the, the women no. that are working with you? They're
1: not full time. They work part time. Okay. They work three days a week. Okay. Um, they're three days a week in the in the studio, but then they're also on emails like you're know, at other times. So we're super flexible. I'm just sort of like, when you get the time to do things, you do it. You know, yeah. You know, if if and if that's doing emails in bed at home on a Saturday morning, I'm cool with you doing that. Like I don't I, I don't expect you to turn up to the um, studio. You know, in a blizzard.
0: Like right, right right. And do
1: do a bit of research on that project that you've been like so yeah I'm you know the opposite of a micromanager. it's like I like to give them you know some goals uh, for the next three months and just slowly work through those and then at the, the end of the three months we'll check back in see how you're feeling about things if what do you want to do more of what do you want to do less of how can we change that um so they they really like my whole idea about them is that I want them to feel like I'm the best boss in the world. Like, and I tell them, you're going to leave me one day and you're going to leave and go to like your, your dream job. And I just want you to know, I just want you to tell everyone what a great boss I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, I
0: think it's a great mindset. Cause I mean, it's, it wouldn't be good to have people walking away and be like, Oh, it's just awful working for her, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. So it sounds like, and you probably get really good results from when you treat people kindly like that. I'm, I'm That's assuming true. I've only they... ever had
1: one, one girl leave, uh, to go to her dream job in publishing and she cried and cried oh, when she was leaving. Oh my. So you don't make um, it easy for them to leave you. <laughs> but then I tell, but I tell them like, you have to leave, you have to yeah. go and do, you know, find right. your dream and, um, like, I think that's, it's just nice for them to know that I'm here and, and it's okay. It's okay when you're ready to go. It's okay.
0: Yeah. Like just, well, it just, sounds like, where, where did you find, it. where do you find your employees? How do you recruit? Instagram. Really? How do yeah. you use, how do you use Instagram to hire? You just put a note out that you're hiring? Put a or- note out,
1: say we're hiring. Uh, and we've gotten much better. Every time we employ someone, we learn something about what we want and what we don't want. Right you know, in an employee or, you know, um, an intern, you know, we've had and usually we have we say, okay, we'd like we're, we're ready for an intern and uh, we'll bring someone on and we always pay our interns. The idea is that it's like, oh, um, yeah, we say we're calling it an intern but you're not really an intern. You're just going to have three months at, at you, know, you know, say $17 an hour until we've and after those three months we decide um, uh, do you like it do we like you being here? And if everything's cool, then you just stay, and we'll bump up your wage. Well,
0: that seems very but reasonable. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. So I feel, yeah, I feel like, yeah, our our studio sort of, you know, is is good because of that. Like, people are willing to hang around, and they always feel like they have a
0: voice, and they, um, yeah, yeah. It's a good place to work. It's the studio, a place that people can go. Uh, like does it have your name on the on the oh. sign and or is it a place it does, that is more in, behind the scenes? It's more behind the
1: scenes, but it does have a lot of my work up in the – it's in Industry City, which is uh, – it's in Brooklyn. And, like, you know, if people wanted to go and, and have a chat and stuff, like I, when I'm in town, I always, you know, invite people to come and, and hang out. Um, but if I'm not there, then it's mostly just, like, yeah, you know, people listening to podcasts and putting things in boxes and like you
0: know you can you can go there to have a look, but it's probably not as exciting as I when see. I'm there's no there's not there. right. There isn't organized uh, classes or anything like that. Do you teach there sometimes or we do? do you- yeah, I teach there and we do have organized classes. Sometimes we have other artists
1: do classes there. So we had like a natural dyeing class. We've had uh, macrame classes. We've oh, had cool. a shoemaking class. So we do have classes
0: there, and I'll usually mention them either in the newsletter or on my Instagram. Do those classes only happen when you're in town, or do those happen at other no. times?
1: No, no, they happen. Yeah, they happen at
0: other times as well. Are these things that you come up with the ideas for the classes, or do you do you leave that to your your staff?
1: A little bit of both. Like if I if I follow an artist that I really like, sometimes I'll and I see that they are either looking for a space or talking about classes or something, then I'll say, if you're in New York, we've got a space, we'd love to host you, Um, but otherwise sometimes people reach out to us. Um, Yeah, it's sort of really quite open, I think,
0: Um, and organic the way that we either find people or are found. That's awesome. So it sounds like that's something for people to look forward to. What is the best way for people to follow uh, signing up for a newsletter or what is the best way yeah. for people to stay in tune with what you're doing?
1: I think the newsletter is definitely the best. It used to be Instagram, but Instagram like that, they, they keep, they, you know, they've changed that algorithm and now yeah. you just never
0: know who's seeing your posts. Yeah, that is a bummer about how they change that. So the newsletter would be the, and people can sign up just going I think to your so, website, yeah. Marianne Moody.com, and look for the... Um, the sign up for the newsletter there. And um, well, I'm, I'm curious about, I know we're going to, I don't want to take up your whole day here, so I want to be mindful of the fact that we've been, I've enjoyed every minute of it, but I don't want to monopolize the <laughs> whole day because that would be bad for both our businesses. But anyway, um, I'm curious about who your favorite artists are, people that have inspired you as you have grown this business over the last five years. Um, are there any people out there that you've looked to that have either inspired your weaving or uh, they could be artists or other people People who go about the world, who who inspires you? There's a
1: fiber artist, and I never know how to say her
0: name, but it's Tanya.
1: It's something like Ag, Ag, Aguinina. Um, let me look it up for you. She's from Southern California, and she's a fiber artist. She does sculpture, um, but she's also very much interested in community building. Um, T-A-N-Y-A, oh, hold on, Tanya Aguiniga, A-G-U-I-N-I-G-A.
0: Okay, and so that's so, have you had a chance to meet her?
1: No, we haven't been in the same place at the same time. We've talked a little bit over email, um, but she's just, I don't know, she just seems like such a cool person, like I love – her work always has a message and she's always interested in connecting with community like on an emotional level and a political level and, you know, her art is just awesome. It's really interesting. Its own, even if you don't know like what, what you know, what it is behind. Um, yeah, so her Instagram says, Los Angeles-based designer, maker, artist, activist, educator, mother, raised in Tijuana, Mexico, textiles, furniture, travel,
0: craft. So she's covering a Um, lot of bases there. Yeah, that's pretty awesome.
1: She just seems like, you know, she, she's sure of herself and, um, yeah, I just love what she does.
0: So that's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I will share that link so, uh, we can introduce more people to her and, um, and I'm interested in, I'm also interested in your, your favorite tool for weaving. Is there anything that you're like, wow, I just have to have this. When I'm working on my hands. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting. That's what I say. Yeah. My hands are my favorite tool as well.
1: (laughs) Like I don't, I don't use a needle very often. I don't use a shuffle very often. I use my hands. I use the, the warp and the yarn and my hands. That's what I use the most.
0: I, I think it's great for people to know that too, because oftentimes when people get into a new craft or art form, Uh, The first thing they do is look up, okay, what tools do I need? And sometimes they buy all kinds of stuff, and then they're overwhelmed. And uh, the thing with weaving... And then they feel
1: like they've spent all that money, and now they have
0: to make something. Yeah, and and... it just increases the pressure on a person. So weaving with their hands. So hearing that you weave with your hands will empower others to just... To start out with their hands and see what they can do. Yeah. 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 Uh, and my, my last question that I want to ask you is, uh, looking back, is there anything that you wish you would have known... Before you know, you started this business, or maybe before you started your first business, before you started the truffle business, back when you were a young girl. <laughs> um, is there anything that any business tips you've you know gathered along the way or collected along the way that you would like to pass on to some other handmade business owners out there or people maybe dreaming of starting something for themselves?
1: I think listen to your community and ask people. you ask people questions. Ask ask your followers. Like create a community and then ask your followers. What do you think about this? Like don't just try to put something on Etsy for $25 and then have your heart broken that nobody's even noticing that it's there or that nobody wants that because really if you just changed the colour from uh, purple to mustard, people would have wanted it. But all you, like how are you supposed to know that? You should, so you've got to ask your community what, what they want. Like it's okay to be doing something for yourself and making things for yourself. But if you want to sell something, you have to ask, ask your community, like, hey, is this worth buying? Yeah, like not just online, ask the people in your life as well. What do you think about this? How could I improve it? Like you don't have to be the fountain of all knowledgefulness about
0: things. (laughs) Anything else? Anything else that I didn't ask you that you think would be helpful to pass on to um, the folks out there who are? maybe thinking about jumping into the fiber I think arts al- or business. Also give, give your work away. Like at the
1: beginning, don't try to sell your first piece, like give your work away because you're going to feel so much better about having seen your working into your friend's house and having seen your work. Like, like even if you're making clothes, like seeing your friend wearing your clothes or pulling out the her change purse to pay for the coffee like it's gonna give you this great feeling seeing your work out in the world rather than sitting in a box in in your studio
0: being sad right right and I, and oftentimes too people um you just they feel bad if they don't sell that first thing so uh yeah it, it, build, it builds kind of a goodwill too where people are like wow, that was really yes. nice I got this piece and yes um, and they're gonna they,
1: tell people about it they're gonna be if they're wearing that clothes their clothes or They have it in their house. Other people are going to see it and they're going to say, yeah, well,
0: yeah, my friend makes this. How great is it? So thanks again. I really have enjoyed this. Yeah, it was lovely to have a chat. A special thanks to Marianne for being a guest on the show. I really appreciated her story and all the behind the scenes information that she shared about how she makes things run. I'm going to post links over at craftsanity.com to Marianne's website, all the links where you can find her online tutorials, book information, kit information, all that good stuff. So head over to craftsanity.com to check out those links. And at the risk of putting myself out there and just being knocked down a few pegs, (laughs) I'm going to be American here, really show my American spirit and invite those of you who live in the West Michigan area to come out for a Craft Sanity Weaving Workshop on April 1st. This is not a joke, friends. I've been so excited to share these looms that I've been working on for months behind the scenes. As many of you know, I've been making little potholder looms and rug looms and placement looms. And uh, yeah, I think that's the extent of my looms, but I have um, a bunch of different size looms and I've been making these and selling them since about 2010. What I'm doing now is I actually invested in a drill press and I started completely making this new line of looms that are used to make hats, cowls, blankets, headbands, and hats really of all sizes. So from infant to adult, the parts are kind of adjustable. I've just been so happy to weave on these things. So if this whole thing turns out to be just an epic fail in the business realm, I will say pretty honestly that while that would be a little bit embarrassing I would not be sorry to have all these looms (laughs) which my husband is going to be horrified to hear but anyway I really like because what I do is I weave on a bunch of looms and then I like I fill them all up and then I take the the hats off or the cowls or whatever it is and it brings me quite a bit of joy to look around and see like oh look at all the look at all this stuff I've been weaving it's really fun. So anyway, I'm going to finally start sharing these secret looms with the public. But in my excitement to get these looms out into the world, I uh, reserved some space here in Kentwood, Michigan to teach a workshop that I didn't realize it was spring break when I decided it was a great idea to do this on April 1st. And this is not a joke. I'm really trying to do a workshop. Uh, It's so short notice. I'm not, I don't know if people are actually going to be able to Get this on their calendar. I fly by the seat of my pants. I realize that not everyone else does that. It's a three-hour workshop, and you can sign up at craftsanity.com. I would really love to teach this workshop next weekend. (laughs) We'll see how many people in West Michigan are fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of people. Um, But I would love to see some of you there. I have another workshop coming up in May, and I'll be. that's gonna be a cowl workshop. This one is going to be hats, mini cowls, and headbands. If you're available, come on down and start weaving with me. I would love it. Oh, and another note too, for those of you going to YarnCon, I will be sending along some cowls that I'm working on right now with Rita from Yarn Hollow. She hand-delivered a stash of her yarn yesterday, and I've been weaving. So we're going to have some beautiful things ready for you guys to check out at YarnCon in Chicago. So you can uh, look for Rita if you're interested. On the last podcast, I asked for listeners to tell me what you're making. And that was kind of cool because I did get a response. So um, I'm going to have some people uh, appearing on some upcoming shows, which will be really cool. Things got crazy busy right after that last episode. So I'm kind of getting myself back on track. And simultaneously winding down the semester at the community college where I teach journalism. So it's a kind of a crazy, hectic time, but I love reading mail from you listeners. So if you have a handmade story to tell, you're working on something cool. Um, yeah, I, I love talking to the people who make things that are, you know, all over the place, all over the world. So if you have a story, reach out. Jennifer at craftsanity.com is the email address. So I hope to hear from some of you. All right. I've gone on and on and on. I got to do these podcasts more often, so I don't have as much stuff, to, as much to say afterward. So anyway, thanks for your patience, folks. And thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.Etsy.com Same time next week we'll be